Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the 9320 Podcast Friday Show, the show that will be padding out this podcast after another quiet week at Manchester City Football Club. No wonder other fans call us boring. We're looking back and forward, and I don't have to spell out what we'll be discussing, so it's only fitting that to discuss such massive matters, I recruit two of the leading podcasters. It's costing us eight grand a day, but it's worth every penny. It's Asan and Stay. Uh, good morning, Asan. How are you doing? Morning, Howard. Um, yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, we've survived till Friday in this yes. crazy week, so should be thankful. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll be talking about the weekend ahead. It's it's weird in a way, but we're going to talk about some football today as well. So that'd be nice. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. A reminder of why this podcast exists. It's <laughs> quite fitting we're going to talk about football. So. Yeah. And also here, Steve, good morning. How are you? I'm good. I believe that eight grand is topped up by another four grand, is it? In exchange for two consultancy pods I've got to do in the future. Is that, <laughs> is that right? Uh, well, it's it's open to a <laughs> discussion there. Yeah. We'll settle on it, basically. Let's put it that way. So. Well, I'm well, thank you very much. Oh, good, good. Looking forward to the weekend. I am, and you just basically alluded to that. It's a bit of football will be very welcome right now. Hmm. Sunday match, so that means it's curry time again. So Nice. How could such little things be uh, the highlight of my week? So. <laughs> an exciting rock and roll lifestyle, I lead. Look, there's only one place to start, looking backwards. We're not going to look at the Spurs match, so... Every cloud and that. <laughs> We're not going to go a deep dive on losing to Spurs for the fifth sodding time away at that stadium. Uh, now, so apparently something else happened the day after, so we all know what it is. And I guess, Asa, I'll start with you. Just We've obviously done a lot of content this week. This week it's, your brain's probably frazzled like mine is, like every City fan's brain is. Where are you at right now? How do you feel four days after this this? news broke how do you feel about the whole thing city the future football <sighs> do you think you can just move on soon and you know let's see what happens or is it still consuming your thoughts i mean obviously it's been a trying week um in terms of you kind of we felt as though things weren't great on the pitch and then this happens and suddenly what's going on on the pitch for a moment feels a little bit irrelevant. I'm tired is the honest answer. Mm. Um, not from a, I think I find myself quite belligerent today. I think at the start of the week, um, I was quite down on, on everything, but today I just find myself quite belligerent about the whole thing. I think there's a, a kind of, I mean, even using the word hypocrisy just feels like it's not a strong enough word for what what I feel is happening around us. I just, I don't think that the football, I don't think the manner in which football is reported in, in England um, is particularly unbiased or fair and... I don't I, I it almost it almost doesn't matter to me what the the rights or the wrongs of the Premier League doing what they are doing are right now 
what actually bothers me more is it's like I've just done 48 hours of 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 reading um newspaper articles and all the broadsheets about how Qatar might take over Man United and strangely enough the tone of all of those articles is completely different from when the Saudis were going to take over Newcastle it's almost as if Man United are held to a different standard by the media than every other football club out there. And I think that 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 is a microcosm of why it's almost impossible to look at the coverage of City um, in any objective manner. 99% of the coverage of City is terrible. It's factually incorrect. It's biased. It's tiresome. And I mean, you know, in the end, as a football supporter, you don't support your team so you can read some knobhead in the in a newspaper telling you that you're great. I don't really care what anybody yeah. in the media thinks about City. The only thing that I care about is the club. And actually, the club transcends the owners, the manager, the board, the players. The club is an institution that has been here for well over 100 years and will be here for another 100 years. So in terms of the kind of the external coverage of city i'm asked i think i'm just more of the opinion that i've never had a lower opinion of those who report on these matters because the i mean the fact that the coverage this week anything that has been fair uh, are either Stefan's words or Stefan's words reappropriated by people mm. who effectively don't have the intelligence to do their own research, who just turn up at supporter media, take Stefan's words and then rewrite them and, and make themselves sound intelligent. How, how should it have been reported? With, I think the problem is putting out an opinion pieces about stuff we have, we can't hold a definitive opinion about. No, we I don't think have the, the information and we don't have a final ruling. So, yeah, I, I think, and as I've, I've just said on previous pods, we've been here before, haven't we? We've read these articles verbatim after UEFA uh, so charged us, found us yeah. guilty, and after we exonerated, the, <laughs> there was silence, tumbleweed. So, yeah, we, we have been here before, but I guess the only way you can report this is with what you know, not with what, without casting dispersions on a football club if i was if i was more cynical i would say that um that it had it was a conspiracy or that people had conspired for this to be uh, for this to happen now in the middle of a title race in a moment where city probably aren't at their best on the pitch um I think that in terms of how it should have been reported, well, it, it, it's, it's not the fact, it, the question is not about how it should have been reported because ultimately it should never have come to this. The charges should never have been brought. And so then if you widen that out and take my conspiracy theory, well, you know, the charges were brought so the media could write about City in the manner in which they're writing about City, so the smear campaign could continue. I think anybody who's seen the overlap this week and and the manner in which Steve McInerney was was treated by that organisation and that panel and that collection of people, I, I am I am without words. Yeah, they the 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 overall sense I have 
is that even if we were previously the pariahs of English football, this is reaching a crescendo in terms of we are the pariahs of English football. Nobody likes us. And beyond that, nobody likes us based on things that are not true. And there's an injustice at the root of that that we'll never be able to change. So we're just going to have to accept it. Sorry, Steve, I will come to you a sec. There's one point there that just to play, uh, it's just to play devil's advocate. You said City shouldn't have been charged, but how can you know that City shouldn't have been charged? So <clears throat> when I say that City shouldn't have been charged, I I refer back to something I said on a prod- podcast earlier this week that this isn't about, look, the, the kind of the the advent of financial fair play rules, the when they were brought in, why they were brought in. Mm. All of that stuff has been covered in many different places, but let's be real about it. They weren't brought in in the manner in which they were brought in to protect the game. They were brought in to protect a collection of clubs who had gotten fat off Champions League money and didn't want to share that money anymore. Everything has flowed from there. So when you say to me, um, "How do you? Know, what? Why do you say the charges shouldn't have been brought?" Well, one, because the rules shouldn't exist. Two, because even if the rules were brought in, so much time has elapsed since they were brought in, and so much has changed in world football. And those rules themselves have changed so many times as the landscape around English football has changed and around European football has changed. That to me it seems an anathema as an organization like the Premier League to take one of your own shareholders to to court in such a public fashion and to take them to the court of public opinion and to make them the pariahs of the league in the court of public opinion. All of that stuff isn't just detrimental to Manchester City. It's detrimental to the league. It's detrimental to the rest of the stakeholders. Um, I don't think they fully appreciate, or maybe they do and they don't care, um, but I don't think that they fully appreciate what is happening on continental Europe right now. Continental Europe hates the Premier League and continental Europe wants a Super League because they feel they can't compete with the Premier League. What will strengthen the hand of continental Europe and the idea of a a European Super League, what will absolutely strengthen their hand are these charges. Absolutely. Because they will hold them up and they'll go, see, this is why we need a European Super League. Because the Premier League is shonky and it's shady. And the reason we can't compete is because they do things that are against the rules. And we have invited that commentary around the Premier League upon ourselves. So when I talk about the charges should never have been brought, this isn't about innocence or guilt. The, the 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 innocent and guilty and the idea of a crime and the idea of punishment this is not what this is even though it's been dressed up in that manner this is not what this is because i refer everybody back to the point i made at the beginning this is a politically motivated attack on city that began when city's owners bought the football club and certain other clubs around Europe decided, hang on, we can't have new money coming into football and usurping the power base that we've created. The integrity of the Premier League is at stake, eh, son? And and you're disrespecting that. No, great words. Thank you very much. Steve, we've not had a a chance to chat 
uh, about the all this. And if you want your, you know, your own time on a podcast next week, obviously, uh, definitely go ahead and uh, mm. have a separate chat with some of the podcasters next week. What about you? Where do you stand with this? What's your week been and where are you with the situation right now? And just one thing to pick up you know, on what Asan said after you've given your thoughts. If we disagree with those rules that are set on, yes, of course, they have changed. They change all the time and I wonder why they change. It's also almost as if people are lobbying for it to be changed, certain clubs. But if City don't like rules, can they be allowed is it acceptable to break them or should they still be punished because they've broken them? Well, first of all, just give, you know, give me a, some idea of where you're at and what your week's been like dealing with all of this. It kind of feels like you've had a huge row with a girlfriend or a partner or a wife, whoever it may be, three or four years ago. And, you know, the kind of relationship was stretched and a lot of things were said and then you moved on and then you're watching telly one day and suddenly your girlfriend, partner, boyfriend, whoever it may be, turns to you and says, remember that row we had three or four years ago? Let's rehash that verbatim, (laughs) go through every detail again and just start it up again. And it really does feel like that. And and when when A-San said he was tired... Steve, you were on a break. (laughs) When when A-San said he was tired... I think that goes the same for everyone. I think we're. Stay, so- I wrote an article five years ago saying I'm absolutely knackered supporting City, and yeah, this is that's before all this started. Twice, it's just yeah, it is. It's 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 exhausting. It, it is really exhausting, is. Yeah. and it's just it's dispiriting as well. It, it, it's kind of you know this is not why we got into football. This is not why we love football. I have very very little knowledge about amortization or time barring or any legal procedures or indeed any kind of financial aspects of the running of a business. Never mind a football club. That is not my forte whatsoever, and. There's so there's also a resentment there and having to learn about it and having to talk about it and having to defend City uh, uh, about it when I have such little knowledge of it. There's a resentment there for sure. Um, how I feel really is that back in the day with Cass, when that all transpired, I went to war. I really, you know, on social media, so it wasn't a real war, there was no weaponry, but I really went to one. I really defended City and I really, it got to me. You know, I was invested mm. fully. And then when, when this happened, I thought, I don't have this in me. So I just don't. And so I, I won't get involved. I will step back and I will watch from the sidelines because there's plenty of people, you two included, Stefan, Lloyd, and many others, as to be said, but just referring to Night 320 kind of community, there's plenty of blues who can take up this fight and do it really well. But, as I mentioned, the hypocrisy there, and that comes to, gets to the heart of it for me. It, this inherently feels unfair, and this inherently feels like there are ulterior motives. Now, the timing of the announcement, unquestionably, it's connected to the white paper that has been delayed. Unquestionably. I mean, it would just it be was, a staggering It out with mistakes on a Monday morning. Yes, exactly. It, it would be a standard. Now, the Super League announcement that came a couple of days after that and the announcement that Qataris are interested in Manchester United very possibly are, are unconnected to that. Or it could be, particularly with the Super League, that they were... 
they've used this development to capitalize and, and get it out there you know and kind of as a backwash and and you know with all the attention on city maybe that's the case but we have got Qatar is interested in Manchester United. We've got the announcement of uh, a, a re- reimagined, reconfigured Super League uh, proposal out there. We've got City being charged with, you know, countless um, alleged breaches of financial ill fair play, um, and then we've got the white paper of, of being re- the kind of independent regulation of Premier League being delayed. These four things happening within the space of four days, really. Come on. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I am the anti-conspiracy theorist, you know? Cabinet reshuffle, Steve. That's why the oh, white paper... come on, the timing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's way too much of a coincidence, and they have to be connected. And as I just said, this is political, and it feels like a witch hunt, and it feels inherently unfair. So I'm back in, very reluctantly, very tired, but I'm back in. Yeah, I think... City, if there was absolute guilt from City, I'd still feel there was a hypocrisy involved here. Oh, 100%. Two things could be right. I mean, you know, that's the whole crux. That's the whole problem with Twitter. Some people don't seem to realise that two things can be right at the same time. One club might be guilty, might be grubby. Uh, So are the others. Uh, welcome Welcome to these group of billionaires and, yeah, fighting for power, money, and the future of football. So... You know, it's funny how there's no winners. Yeah, um, I uh, <laughs> I started I started writing a monologue for for the ninety three twenty player that I ended up dashing. But oh. um, I I was kind of working through the takeover. Year. I was working through the takeover and the takeover years and trying to go back and and remember how I felt about football in general and how I felt sort of supporting City and how I felt about everything that had that was happening to the club. And and what I realize is that pretty much, I, I think what happened is um, Mancini in many respects um, changed everything because I don't think anybody expected us to win that title in 11-12. And I don't think anybody expected City to the money to have the effect on the pitch as quickly as it did. And I realized that, post 2013 we've just been sort of firefighting like we've become more and more and more insular as a supporter base as Mm. the kind of attacks from the outside and the accusations of cheating and the court cases and the uefa cases as they've ramped up and i think it's something that people uh, i think for us what we somehow have either forgotten or misremember is we went through this before football leagues. Like we had a UEFA court case, uh, an FFP fine, a reduced squad, a, we were punished. We man Pellegrini's first two years as manager were man or in fact, all of his tenure in many respects were manifestly affected by the limitations that were put on the football club by UEFA as a punishment for supposed FFP breaches. So I feel as though we've had more than a decade of this now. And I, I want to say one other thing, and I think it's, it's, it's something that I heard on a, uh, on a, on a different podcast that just rang really true for me. So uh, I was listening to a podcast where a journalist was asked, 
have Chelsea had a have Chelsea had better press than City um, in terms of the spending that they've done? Um, and the journalist said, "Yeah, they have had better press." And there's two reasons for that. One is that since Abu Dhabi came in, they've had an arm's length relationship with the media. So whereas Todd Bowley was giving almost hourly updates on each one of their transfer targets and inviting the media into their spending spree. Um, City kept everybody on the outside. And the journalist made the point, it's really difficult to write negative articles about a club's spending when they're giving you exclusives and they're inviting you in. When you keep them on the outside, it's a lot easier to write those negative articles. And the second reason that he gave was because of the color of our owner's skin. Now, I want to focus in on the first reason because I think there's, it's something that I've, I've, I've often toiled with. And that is the idea of what's the club's responsibility in all of this. And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about their responsibility to FFP or to the Premier League. I'm talking about their responsibility to us. We're the supporters, right? So we're the front line of this. Everything that goes on, all of the narratives and everything that that happens and exists with the best will in the world, a lot of the people that work at City aren't City fans. So it's not going to bother them mm. personally. People higher up are on huge salaries. Football players and managers, they live in a bubble. We're at the forefront of this every day. And the one place where I'm genuinely disappointed with the football club is the point that that journalist made. We have kept the media on the outside. We have kept them at arm's length. We have allowed an environment to perpetuate where it's very easy to tell lies about City in the media. Now, I know that when I talked about Soriano earlier in the week, a lot of people got really annoyed at me. And they were like, with friends like you, who needs enemies? Basically, the point being that how dare you be critical of Soriano or the football club. This was a witch hunt from day one. It was a witch hunt from day one, but that's exactly why I feel as though we haven't handled it right from a media perspective. We haven't built the relationships that we needed to build. We have never, you know, ultimately, there's a difference between what, happens when big news breaks at other football clubs and what happens at Manchester City. The problem at City is that often there's an information vacuum and the media fill it with whatever they want. And City allow the vacuum to be created by not speaking. And it's including us. Exactly. Oh, and fans in general. Yeah. It's just other clubs are so much more aligned with podcast fans anyone you know open basically and yeah well, i'll tell you why i'll tell you exactly why this exists this exists because the people who run our football club none of them are english the the the, the power players right they're all from spain soriano will speak to the spanish media he does he does interviews on radio print media regularly guardiola will speak to spanish media he does podcasts do you know what I mean? He, he, he does podcasts. Even Bergerstein, who's so media shy, he'll still, he'll give a few words. He'll brief, you know, Sport or Mundo or whoever it is, yeah? He'll speak to them. Nobody speaks to the British media. And so it, it feeds into this idea of, 
Uh, that thing I tweeted earlier about Soriano going to 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 the uh, Premier League meeting last night and the idea that nobody likes us. Well, we're aloof. Part of the reason that nobody likes us is because the fellas who run the club, they're a bit aloof. And so it's really easy, go back to the idea of an information vacuum, goes back to the idea that like, if they think we're looking down our nose at them, they're going to go, well, sod you. And so there is some responsibility within all this that the club have to carry. And the responsibility is not about whether you broke rules that were created to stop you. I'm asked about that, lads. In the end, even if it's found that City inflated all of their books to to get around FFP, I'm, you know, the, as the week has passed, I'm not bothered. I know exactly what those rules were created to do. They were intended to stop owners like city's owners coming in and competing with united and liverpool etc etc so whatever you made some rules up we didn't follow them you caught us whatever like you know what that all that's it's almost neither here nor there whether you caught us or not my point is more in terms of the general narrative around manchester city in the last decade that has been shaped by the media and it's been shaped in an information vacuum created by the club and that's unfortunate i think they could have handled that better and i think if they had handled it better maybe maybe some of this stuff would have landed differently there was a honeymoon period when we were taken over it's a different world in those days in a way and then some negative stuff started coming out and i know city got journalists in at the time you know 2009-10 showed them around had a word and then coverage improved after that but something changed. It didn't carry on. Uh, yeah, and as you say, they've become more aloof. Maybe they tried. Maybe they'd had enough of the no, attitude of other clubs. Chicken and egg in a way. It's like, yeah. I, I, I just think it's really easy for Ferran and Cheeky and Omar to effectively pull the shutters down and go, oh, just, we're just not going to speak to any of these people. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to go about our business. I think it's dead easy for them to do that. And I think that in 99% of the situations, I think that's fine. I just think that from a supporter point of view, because of the expectations that are put on supporters, we're expected to turn up every week. We're expected to be noisy. We've got a manager who, if he's not happy with the way the the crowd are, he'll let it be known that he wants the supporters to be more vocal, right? He wants more from the supporters. Ticket prices edge upwards, not downwards at Manchester City. Even if we have, on the whole, very affordable tickets, the point remains that the club need the supporters. And I'm at a point now where I just feel they haven't done enough to protect us. And I go back to Steve McInerney on the overlap this week. He should never have to face what he faced going into that studio. It should never be such, there should never be a situation where the club allows a supporter to become the enemy, pariah, yeah, just for supporting his football club. And that's how it's landed. And the reason it's landed like that is the culmination of a decade of silence and letting this stuff go and fighting it in the courts and, you know, the kind of this weird, like, we're not going to say anything to anybody and the shutters are going to come down and we're going to hire the best lawyers and blah, blah, blah. It goes back to the same thing. All those lads, big salaries, 
not necessarily City fans, even if they are now, but they didn't come in as City fans. They're not even English. Like a lot of those lads, they're, you know, it's whatever. They don't care. Well, we care. Maybe this is all a ploy to improve the atmosphere on Sunday. So. Well, it'll be a bear pit on Sunday, I'm sure. And if we, go, if we do end up in the championship, then they'll put the prices up again because it's four extra league games, isn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Howard, I talked, I talked a lot then, but I, I just... I didn't one. want you to stop, so... Stay, yeah. Is there anything you want to add or can I, should I ask you a, no, a follow-up uh, well, question about where do you think... Are you any clearing you think where this will lead, basically? Well, no, I mean, as long as you're okay, I'd rather just kind of add on yeah. to what Ethan was saying there, because yeah, yeah. Uh, there is another example. I mean, you said, um, you know, 2009-10, they kind of welcomed the press in, um, and they did, and we got kind of positive coverage, but they also did at the opening of a campus as well. And if you recall, the, the press coverage around the opening of our campus was something which I remember being staggered by it. It was entirely positive. It was like, look what City have done here. Oh, what a magnificent place this is. It's got this and it's got that. And and places like the Daily Mail would list all the kind of different, you know, technological breakthroughs that was going on there and all the different innovations and, and, you know, and it was all done. And actually, and I should say as well, it was all tied into how much it was costing as well. But it was portrayed as a positive. It was, this costs this amount of money. Wow, they're really ambitious. And I remember reading all this and it just felt so odd. It was like, I'm not used to be people being so nice about City because it was a rare instance of a club welcoming in the press. But the thing I want to add to what Aeson was saying, which I wholly agree with, but there's a flip side as well. This does not reflect well on the media. And if I've got a real bugbear about the media, and I've always had this, going right back to a kid, it didn't feel right when I was a kid either, is their love affair with their mates. You know, the kind of Harry Redknapps of this world. Frank Frank Lampard, as we've seen recently. If they've got access to someone, by all means, it's human nature that you're going to be more, I don't know, fairer, I guess is a better way. But don't be positive to people who, you know, will feed you stories and negative to people who don't. That's pathetic. That's not journalism. And that annoys me. And that is really entrenched in... The football media, I think, and it has been for a well, long, long time. It is journalism. It's uh, back scratching and yeah, you know, but it's relationships. Pathetic. And, it's pathetic, yeah. though. Well, it really is. And I, I should say as well, where I agree with Asan as well, I think it's pathetic of City as well because mm. they're aware. They're aware of this, yeah, and they have to develop those relationships. Yes, they haven't played the game. They haven't even made an attempt to play the game. But the the, the game itself is pathetic. Mm. So, where does this lead? We oh, don't know. Years yeah. and years of uncertainty. Where it leads for us, because let's face it, um, you know, Soriano and the like, I've never met them. I wish them well and, you know, grateful for what they do at City. But I care about myself and City fans because they're the people I know and that's the people I care. Not even, you know, more so than the players because a lot of the players will move on in two years' time, three years' time, whenever it may be, and they'll have illustrious careers. I care about us, and we are in for years of shit. We're in for innuendo and, you know, accusations and negativity and falsehoods. We're in for the lot, and we're in this now for years. Um, so that, that's what comes of it. Whatever the end result is as well, what matter, Howard, that's what pisses me off. We could be completely exonerated and no one will believe it. No one will believe it. 
because they're so tribalised now Henry, football. Henry Winter said City might get off in brackets. They've got good lawyers. Yeah. Well, as if I'm the Premier League are turning up with some two-bit trainees. I've seen this all over the place. First day on the job. It's the, like the, the Premier both League's, sides are going to have great lawyers. If City are exonerated, it's because there wasn't a case. The, the Premier League's lawyer works in the same changes, uh, chambers as Panic. So you know he's a colleague. They are level. They're on a level footing. So yeah, absolutely. After Henry Winter's article on Greenwood this week, uh, I think he's best avoided generally anyway for his views. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, Steve, I would I would say one thing, and that is that, and I felt the same. And actually, we've seen it in in the back end of the the back end of of Cass and the UEFA allegations that. Actually, when you say like you know we're gonna we're gonna have to live with this forever, we are and we aren't in the sense that you know what football is like. Yeah. You know, football is so, it, mm. it it changes and moves so quickly, and the narrative changes and moves so quickly that in a way, this is a storm in a teacup. And what I mean by that is, if you go to uh, opposition supporters, if you'd have gone to opposition supporters before this news dropped a year ago, that have said City of cheese, right? And they still say City of Chiefs. So it doesn't really make any difference. Yeah. If you look at the media coverage of City a year ago, it was what it was. It's not changed in a year. It's not changed in five years. It's not going to change in the next five years. In the in the main, I don't think our experience of supporting is going to change because of what's happened this week. I just think it adds a layer of exhaustion to the here and now. And I think that part of why it adds a layer of exhaustion to the here and now is because there is some certainty, uncertainty on the football pitch as well. And I think that that layered in with this has, and I include myself in this, it's given a sense that the sky is falling. But to kind of flip it and give it a little bit of perspective, look, this is only a news cycle until the games happen this weekend, right? And once the games happen this weekend, then this is consigned to the bin and everybody moves on to whether Arsenal won or lost and whether City won or lost and are United back in the title race and is Jaden Sancho back and is Klopp finished and do you know what I mean? And they get because we play Arsenal again in midweek and it just, I feel as though there's a, uh, there is a route out of this for us. It feels like, There'll never be a route out of it. But what I mean is that the immediacy of it all, there's a route out of that. What we are as a club, we were a year ago, or in terms of the perception, and that will continue in the future. But for the here and now, what we're going through, there is a there is a short-term route out of this. I, I hope you're right. I mean, I will say that it, it gives an authenticity to our kind of detractors. Um so, for example, for the past couple of years, many occasions, someone's called City a cheat, you know, on, on Twitter, for example. And I've said, how so? Explain why, 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 why are they cheat? And then a lot of times, uh, it's just this vague, generalised, oh, because of that, that, that thing, they don't really know any details. Now, there will be details. And so, I mean, however much or little that matters, it, it does give a certain, it adds a certain strength to what their voices. What if we win? What if we win? But... but that could be four years away. That could be three years away. And we've got a lot of crap until then. But don't you think that it's almost in that sense? Yeah, I guess I feel as though if this is years away, then it's really going to go away. Then yeah, it's really going to go away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think, yeah. I think when, I, when I put aside the kind of um, 
the emotional response to the charges and all that sort of business. And you begin to look at this practically. Look, if this is going to take between two and four years, then the thing itself, the commission, is not worth the paper mm. that it's written on. It's, it's worthless and it's pointless. And then it will go away. My, um, my overriding feeling, and this comes from... And I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth, not Stefan's, not anybody's, but my overriding feeling, having read everything I've read, having spoken to Stefan, to other lawyers, to really get a general gist of which way the wind is blowing, my feeling is that the Premier League are going to lose. Whether they lose in six months or they lose in four years, whenever the other shoe drops, it'll be bad for the league, it won't be bad for City. And the reason I say that is simply because what they've charged City with, everybody with any, everybody with any expertise is telling me that the commission, even a high court, is going to take years and years to untangle the allegations, the counter-allegations, the evidence, the everything, yeah? A high court is going to take years to untangle mm. that. So this commission is not fit for purpose with regards to this. It's, so, it's too big for an independent panel to, to decide. Yeah. The breadth of, you know, 115 breaches of, you know, f fraudulent accounting and all that sort of thing, or false accounting, should I say. Uh, yeah, I, I did want to call your chat with Stefan. <laughs> But board fraud, and he, he he was rightly not happy that I used that as a title for a very serious topic. But uh, fraud, as he pointed out, is the wrong word to use, perhaps in the you know when we're discussing all this. And that's part of the problem. We don't know that. I know there's 115 breaches, but we what by a penny, by millions, by you know yeah. <laughs> white. I think again, he, those you know, rules. Stefan, I think Stefan and Lloyd have both said like. I think we're past the point of compromise, but deep down, Asan, I agree. The longer this goes on, the the panel is ill-equipped to deal with this or hand out some some huge punishment. I think, be, I think it'll be clipped wings yeah. due to no, I don't even think guilt do over that. technicalities. The compromise. You know what I found? You know what I found, Howard. As the week has progressed, what what I found, and it, obviously <clears throat> this is pretty public now. The club are belligerently fuck you about this yeah they're not doing a deal are they no no the, the 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 club are belligerently let's do this yeah come on then like if you want to do it like this we'll do it like this i think the club are going to have the league's pants down and it's not about whether or not what they've accused city of actually happened it's about the fact that you can't prove that in the same way, right? And I, I, this goes back to something that I felt all the way through this. The problem with trying to prove brown paper bag payments and all that sort of business is you literally need the fella who handed the brown paper bag over or the fella who took the brown paper bag to go, yeah, I did it. Because outside of that, you ain't ever proven it. So, good luck. Yeah. But there's a, there's, sorry, very quickly, but there was a case um, a few years ago where the Premier League started investigating some dodgy transfers, or alleged dodgy transfers, I should probably say, um, concerning kind of, well, one was Boomsong, the defender Boomsong to Newcastle from Rangers. And I had to write about this recently, and just the barest research revealed to me that it was exceedingly dodgy. You know, it looked 
exceedingly dodgy. They couldn't prove it. They, they, they just couldn't prove it, you know? And yeah, it's just, it's just adding to what Aislinn said there. It's extremely hard to prove such things. Yeah. The, the BBC did the documentary on Ferguson and Ferguson's son acting as an agent for United players and putting pressure on Man United players who wouldn't use his son as an agent. No charges were brought. Nothing happened. The reason, what Vincent Company said the other day, and he said it in such a way where you could tell that he wasn't being defensive of City. He was kind of looking around at the rest of the, the, the league and he was basically going, you know... Football clubs shouldn't really throw stones because football behind the scenes is not, you know, it's not this clean, lovely place where everybody abides by the rules and all that sort of business. It's always like the music business, man. It's like like any entertainment business. Believe me, I've worked in the music business. I've worked in the film and television business. I know how murky these places are. This is just not a place where you go to look for honest, upstanding citizens. Even Klopp's been been, uh, quiet at the... (laughs) <laughs> in his press conference saying I don't want to talk about it he obviously didn't have his lawyers with him so is there just one follow up question Steve you know we have to move on obviously it's such a huge story we could talk for hours and I'm sure we'll continue to uh, I, I've been told you know the Premier League had this evidence four years ago and weren't interested because they you know because of the obvious reasons well we can't prove this and there's a law firm they has to look into it Are you, is beginning with P, I won't say who they are, that have now come back. And they're, the fact that they're now prepared to proceed with this, is there a nagging doubt in your mind that they've got something big to hit City with, that has changed their mind? Yeah. Or do you think they've just fucked up? The likelihood is they fucked up. But we're talking about the future of our football club here, so that's kind of... I've heard the conversations, I've listened to the podcasts and I've heard from people who really know what they're talking about and I feel a lot more reassured now than I did, you know, at the start of the week. But because it's a future of a football club, something could go awry. You know, our our future's in jeopardy. Um, And and so there could be another fuck-up further down the line which kind of aids them and harms us. You know what I mean? It's like the best way of explaining what I mean is, is Lord Panic. And when he was kind of um, revealed to be you know, the guy City have appointed, and everyone said, oh, he is the best. He is the best, and he's beat this guy in the past, and this is the guy he's coming up against, so he'll beat him again. Great, yeah, but, you know, Wigan Athletic can beat Man City in an FA Cup game. <laughs> Upsets can happen. You, you can't rely on it. So that that's what worries me, really, is the fact that there's an uncertainty lying ahead. Now, whether that means whether the Premier League's got something and they're really sure of, of their case or whether the, it's kind of ineptitude on their part, I suspect it's the latter and don't feel reassured enough in that to sit back and go, yeah, it's just going to be that, we're fine. I, th- there is still an element of doubt and there's still a big risk that this could really blow up in our faces. Mm-hmm. I think you know, City can use precedence. That my friend actually made the point that Liverpool being, yeah, getting a £1 million fine for hacking the database. Yeah. Sharehold, you know, I think about five clubs use that database. Um, a friend, you know, mentioned a good point. Well, if that's the precedent for that, then it could actually work in City's favour to have agreed to such a lenient uh, punishment. And Asan has mentioned other non-punishments. Uh, I think Kerry Maguire on the price of football, you know, mentioned 
other things that have happened that have not been looked into, there's been no punishments, kind mm. of works in City's favour. Yeah. But Ace, is a media blackout from this point onwards possible? Or do you think it, we're going to know a lot more? Even though it won't have been resolved in the next six months, do you think we'll know a lot more no. about City's chance to say by the end of the summer? No. No, I don't. I just, I think from everything I've, from everything I understand about the procedure, we are stepping into another information vacuum now. And like I said the other day on a pod, the way this works is that we're just going to wake up one day and there's going to be a statement on the Premier League website about what the panel's findings were. That's it. There isn't going to be a, a, a media brief or a media leak. Stefan has made the point that it's disgraceful that the league aren't giving more information into exactly what the breaches are. And, you know, basically from a public interest point of view, if this is of such widespread spread public interest, if you're going to have the wall-to-wall media coverage that you're going to have, the league then have a duty to put some meat on the bones. But there's also a feeling that they're probably not going to do that. So now I think we are going to, we are going to step into an information vacuum to a greater or a lesser extent. And, you know, actually, I realized something the other day. The only thing I care about is, and this is going to sound really funny, the only thing I care about is who we can buy in the summer. Genuinely. Like, wow. That's my, my, my only focus now is, can we win the league from here? And how many, how many lads can we buy this summer to make this team <laughs> Perfect. stronger? Perfect segue then. Do, you know, is this... It's going to take years. Is this going to affect our transfer policy? So my feeling... players. No, because my feeling... So I said this to somebody in a WhatsApp exchange this week who who asked me about how I felt about whether it would affect our transfer business. City have done business throughout the last decade, right? Whilst these accusations have flown. City have bought players since football leagues. City bought players aftercast like the the reality is that in the world of football because we forget that we live on the internet right so you have this kind of you have the narrative on the internet you've got the world on the internet and then you've actually got the real practical business side of football and in the real practical business side of football you've got football agents who want to get paid and who want to move their clients right and you've got football players who just want to win trophies and i think that in both instances city's reputation over the last decade is of being the preeminent football club in England, not just in terms of winning trophies, but the infrastructure, the way you're treated, the atmosphere at the club, the environment at the club, everything is geared towards excellence. Erling Haaland joined less than 12 months ago, Mm. and he was probably one of the most sought after footballers of the last decade in terms of a transfer. I don't see anything changes. It's changing. If, in fact, if anything, I think what happens now is whilst the club have tried to be really cute with their net spend bollocks over the last five years, I think they're going to have to bite the bullet and go big this summer. Why? Because anything else makes them look like they're scared, makes them look like they've got a problem. The only way that you can show that it's business as usual is by making it business as usual. Sign Jude Bellingham, sign Rafael Leao, sign Gvardiol, sign an other centre midfield player and basically give Pep the team that he wants and shift the narrative back to who's going to beat City in the league. 
sign one big name, the others follow in a way that we, uh, yep. we told David Silver that Yaya Toy was definitely <laughs> signing for us. And we told Yaya Toy that David Silver was definitely signing for us. And they both believed it and then both signed thinking the other one had already signed. So, uh, it's a domino effect in a way. If one signs up, the others come in a way. Uh, just final point, final, final point stays about Pep himself. So, amongst the city briefings, it's, there was a, a line about City, yeah, this will drag on for years and by then Pep will be gone anyway, probably gone. In mm. a, does it feel like it's drawing a line under Pep's reign here or am I totally overthinking it that this will be his final contract at City or is Pep far too unpredictable and to be put off by this news for him to make a decision based on what's happened this week? It's a latter, I think. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, he's too... F- Unpredictable. I mean, we're, we're going to be going on to the Villa game shortly and, and line-up predictions. You know, that illustrates more than anything. He's such a hard man to read. Um, he's so self-governed kind of and he knows what he wants. And external factors obviously come into it. But far more so than anything else, it'll be down to family and it'll be down to how he feels as regards to Manchester City, the team, the football. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it may be a factor, but it'll be an external factor and less importance than what we should, you know, worry about anyway. Okay, shall we talk football? Yeah. Love it. Yeah, you know that round thing that really ex- Liverpool is shit. <laughs> kick around, yeah. <laughs> that we didn't kick around very well last week, but we're, we're not talking about that. So, okay. Well, that's the end of part one then. Uh, right. I caught up yesterday in part two. Uh, I got to chat with a Villa fan about their football club, uh, their new manager ish, new manager, how they're doing the match on Sunday. I asked him as well if he thought City would cheat, <laughs> but we talked about football most of the time. Uh, this is what Villa fan Neil had to say about all things Aston Villa. I'm delighted to be joined by Neil from the For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Uh, good afternoon, Neil. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me on, Howard. I'm doing great. No, Thanks for coming on as well. Really appreciate it. And can I just say a cracking name for a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can probably guess by my accent, I'm Irish and uh, he is, the, in my view, the best Irish footballer ever. And uh, it's funny, actually, because I saw him play for, I realised he played for Aston Villa before I realised he played for Ireland. And it happened all in the space of two weeks when I was about six or seven years of age. And that's what solidified my Aston Villa fandom really was... Um, what was what was seeing Paul McGrath and then realizing that he was he was playing for the Irish national team as well. So hence the name. I support Aston Villa because I love Paul McGrath. So <laughs> despite one of the other clubs he might have played for, there's no denying he was an absolutely brilliant footballer once. Absolutely. Despite many problems, uh, including injuries as well, of course. I was just about to say, the man didn't train for about the last eight years of his Mm. career and he was still able to put in those performances. So he's a physical anomaly, I think is what you describe him as. Yeah, uh, but undoubtedly a brilliant defender. Right, shall we crack on and talk about Aston Villa? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, thanks again for coming on. I just thought I'd start by going to the the past and Stephen Gerrard and the departure of him, obviously last year now, on time flying. I assume it was before the World Cup, uh, yeah. but I can't remember life. But yeah, uh, it just seems like the longest season ever because of that World Cup. I have no concept of time anymore. Uh, 
his departure was for for Villa fans. Uh, I know different opinions are always available when things like this happen. Did, did you feel he was hard done by, or had he lost the fans by the time he went? Um, I think you'd find it. You're obviously going to find one or two Villa fans that will think he was hard done by, but I think the vast majority of people will think his time had come. Um, he had lost. He had lost the fans from the point of view of he he displayed. Um, what I would term, and, and I know other Villa fans might think differently, but he would display a level of stubbornness that was just so, uh, you'd have to bite your face nearly to stop yourself giving out about him at times because uh, it was a level of not knowing his best 11, but being unbelievably stubborn at wanting mm. to play tactics and, and rolling people in and rolling people out and giving nobody a chance to, to develop within his system. He came off, by the end, he came off as somebody who wanted to start blaming players. Um, none of it, he would say, it's on me. And then in the next sentence in a, in a press conference, turn around and say, it's on me, but the players have to do better. And, you know, it, it just became very disjointed. And you looked at him and you went, fantastic footballer, real leader of men on the field. But, Almost, I wonder, is he? did he suffer a case of uh, Glenn Hoddleitis, whereby he couldn't yeah. understand why, why the players couldn't do what he was able to do? Um, and inevitably, I think, we lost 3-0 to Fulham in one of the worst displays of football I think I've ever seen in my God-given days. And uh, at that stage, everybody was like, okay, I don't think we can defend him any longer. Now, I'm always, uh, I always come at a game of football from the side of positivity, um, and I always give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And what really got me was he there was a lot of self-inflicted injuries with his press conferences that I could see he showed a massive disconnect between him and the fan base. And and actually, it felt like he was driving people away from the club for a finish. So um, results and the PR side of things with him, we weren't really getting many positives from him being the figurehead at all. In what way was a disconnect? Was it did he criticise the fans, or do, you know, did he fail to understand that? I think that's that what it, it wasn't was. working in a way that it wasn't his fault. Yeah. Um, I think it, uh, one thing I can kind of pinpoint is that we played Chelsea and uh, he had a lot of unenforced PR issues, I think, really. Just said the wrong thing at the right, mm. the wrong time. Like like Tyrone Mings was another PR, unenforced yeah. PR issue. You know, he just he got out over his skis with, with conversations at times. But against Chelsea, and this really riled up the fans, he said, we played Chelsea with a very first good first half, and they ended up beating us two nil. But he came and said we should be proud as fans, and we should we shouldn't um, expect Aston Villa to win because Chelsea should should come and wipe the floor with Aston Villa uh, every time they come to Villa Park or every time we go to Stamford Bridge. And fans don't forget that. And it's very difficult to roll back from that because, um, as I say, it's like he we went to, we had a very decent start to to his tenure. Um, we went to. Australia and pre-season tails were high but then we played against Bournemouth uh, first game of the season and uh, we lost and it was immediate after that that people were kind of questioning his credentials and and I think he kind of felt like his back was against the wall he started coming out with silly things like that silly things like like he mentioned about Tyrone Mings and I think very very quickly that the fan base kind of decided like this guy's beginning to unravel a small little bit um, and he isn't up to it tactically so if you don't have if you're not getting good PR you're not having good tactics mm. then that's that's you know that that's a, that's a net fall. negative yeah. and, and I think the club were right to pull the trigger when they did because it, we have gotten in somebody who I think is undoubtedly uh, an upgrade and not somebody who's going to be learning on the job like Steven Gerrard was. So Unai Emery's come in. Uh, I think 
was United victory the first game? It was. It was. Yep. Not a bad way to start. <laughs> Get the fans on board. Uh, at the time, he must have been happy with his appointment. How, how has he done since he's joined the club? Uh, Obviously, he, not that long he's been there, but are you seeing, have you seen changes? What is it that yeah. he's changed as well? Yeah, so uh, one of the big things under Steven Gerrard was we had no identity. It was a case of it was everything seemed to be in the theoretical and nothing was in the practical on the field. You can see with Unai Emery, he's, he's done things that fans are have questioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always come out on top with the right results. So, so far, so good. And long may that continue. Um, but one of the biggest things he's done is he. you can see he's implementing a style of play through our midfield, spe- specifically with Douglas Luis and Bubakar Kamara. Um, he knows our defence isn't... Our defence is an area of of challenge for him. Um, you only have to look at the Leicester game that we just played uh, at the weekend. Um, our defence, I, I, I firmly believe, our defence is going to have open heart surgery in the in the summer, mm. and, and specifically in the centre of our defence. But what he's done is he's come in. He knows how to mask those frailties within a team. Um, that game against Manchester United, we started really, really quickly. We had two goals, I think, in the first seven minutes. Mm. And uh, that's one thing that Unai Emery has been really good at so far, is getting early goals and, and protecting those leads. Now, granted, at the weekend against Leicester, we couldn't do that. So it's going to be really interesting to see, is he able to um, reinstill that that steel in this team again? Because that Leicester game came out of nowhere. But the biggest thing that he's done is, it's very structured. He's brought in a an awful lot more of uh, attention to detail because one of the things you even hear the, the players saying now oh, is that Steven Gerrard didn't have that attention to detail in, in, in the game planning whereas Unai Emery seems to be meticulous and, and he's famous for being meticulous and he's very much a, a video coach whereby you'll do it in the field but you'll also come in here and spend five hours in the co- in, in watching video on what I want you to do better and where this team can be got at etc. So um, a lot of the players have said that this is new to them and yeah. that they find him very professorial uh, in his in his teachings. So uh, that's always good. And there seems to be some very nice vibes coming out of the team as well. Uh, so what, Leicester, yeah, I didn't see that result coming because Leicester obviously got their own problems yeah. at the moment. Was it defensive frailties at the end that did for you? Yes, absolutely. Four of the worst goals a team will concede in the Premier League this year. Um, One of those days then, perhaps, rather well, than taking absolutely. too many conclusions from it. Yeah, it was one of those days. But what was the worrying thing was all four goals, in in essence, were all very similar and they're all caused by the same the same issue. Now, there's no way we're going to play the high line that we did against Leicester, against Manchester City. It mm. would be absolute suicide to do that. But um, we did and we continued to play it. And uh, I think at the weekend, my own personal view at the weekend was that Luca Dean was a bit of an issue at left back. His communication wasn't there. Um, and when he went off and Alex Moreno came on, we looked a bit more solid, albeit that for the last goal, Moreno has a lapse of concentration, goes to clear a ball, completely misses it, and it rolls on to Dennis Pratt, who puts it in the back of the net. But um, it was it was very much high line and, and players running between full backs, running into into the into the spacings of our defenders, which really undid us against Leicester. Uh, right, yeah, and just before we move on and look at the game and talk about City's week, because we've got to really <laughs> just briefly, uh, I noticed on some Villa sites and Twitter feeds that like City, there's much debate about poor atmospheric games at the moment. Uh, how bi- how bad is it? for you um, what the causes and what do you think the solutions are uh, I'm going to be really honest 
I have no idea. Um, I've no idea what the causes are. I've no idea what the solutions are. Um, and it's it's a very recent thing. I find it's a very recent thing. Now, uh, granted, I haven't. Uh, I don't get over to Villa Park as much as I as much as I would like to recently because I've got a little daughter. She's fifteen months old, and I have a, have another little one on the way soon. So, um, <laughs> tight time is tight. I can just about get to get to podcasting at the moment, but. My podcast po- co-host uh, Paddy goes over quite a lot, and uh, like that, he's he he everything is set up for a raucous atmosphere. It just I think what it is is it's I do think that the end of the, the Dean Smith era and the start of the uh, and the whole lot of the Stephen Gerrard era has just taken a small bit out of Aston Villa fans. I think we were we were told to wait during the Stephen Gerrard uh, era. It was like wait, he needs time to bed in. And when we didn't do any any business uh, in January, we were asked to wait again, essentially, till the summer, till we, till we have more signings. Now, this isn't a criticism of the board, mm-hmm. but I think the fans are just kind of kind of bored of being asked to wait. Uh, since we've got up to the Premier League, we've had some great signings, don't get me wrong, but it's, it seems like it's very much throw everything at the wall and, and, and see what sticks, whereas now with Unai Emery, it's a case of we've got a coherent plan. So um, I don't know how to fix it in, in the stands uh, I, do you know what fixes it? I would imagine fixing, fixing, winning would fix it. Yeah, I think that would fix it very easily. But um, then again, Man City rarely lose, so maybe I, maybe winning doesn't fix it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just well, a new, a new type of fan. I've, you I've can no get idea. spoiled once you get around the other side. But <laughs> well, it's it's modern football, is it not? It's prices, yeah. uh, cheaper prices, standing where we put the family stand is ridiculous because it sucks atmosphere away. Uh, there's a problem yeah. with away allocations in cup games because everyone gets scattered across the ground. It's modern football in a way. Yeah. I think uh, you need the ones who are going to make the noise to be able to afford to get into the match and yeah, the creeping corporate areas and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think we're it's common at many grounds at the moment. So yeah, it is what it is. Look, yeah. there's no avoiding the elephant in the room. And I'm, I'm, I put in my notes to you that I'm not going to debate you or come back against anything you say so you've got a free reign here uh i wanted to ask you about city's ridiculous week and the news that broke on monday because i'm interested in the perception of other fans even though i think i know the answer obviously on monday city were charged with uh, premier league have handed over to an independent panel uh many charges we don't know what they are precisely is it fair to say you know like villa say amongst the Villa fan base or just other fans aren't directly rivaling at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. for titles against City. I understand that Liverpool United fans will be wanting us to be relegated. But is it commonly accepted, despite at, at this point City haven't been convicted uh, of anything, right. is it commonly accepted that City are banged to rights and are financial cheats, in a way? Um... This is such a strange one for me because I I heard the news. Obviously, you might be under a rock if not to hear it. But mm. I I found I I kind of went to myself. I said, you know what? I don't want to do too much. I don't like it's. It doesn't matter to my life if I do too much p- picking around in the dust or <laughs> yeah. in the weeds of this. Because at the end of the day, I'm not a Man City fan. I don't like. I'm not going to get too angry if no matter what I find in here, it's not going to really make me angry as such. But what will happen is, I just want to know what the outcome of it is going to be. To be honest, now when you I might have a I, wait there, to be honest, I, like four years, I think, isn't it for the <laughs> yeah. for the whole thing? Yeah. Um, 
But uh, I, I think one of, the, one of the things that I saw in it, look, uh, my own views on it, I suppose, you'd want to really be, and, and this is just, once again, this is just a, a non-City fan. I think, I think, I, all, I think everybody always felt that there must have been something going on. There mm. must have been something going on. And the reason being is because, yes, you've got really wealthy owners. And we've got really wealthy owners. Our, our owners are worth something like 15 billion between the two of them, something along those lines. So we're not exactly strapped for cash ourselves at Aston Villa. And this is actually maybe going back to the answer that I gave a moment ago. I think what's really going to annoy Villa fans is I made the, the, um, the argument that we're playing within the rules of financial fair play because that's why because I had I, I did up this whole financial model for, uh, to explain as to why we didn't buy in the summer um, with the three years rolling that happens in financial fair play coming into next year or coming into this summer that will all drop off we'll, something like I think it's 120 million in losses after we came up to the Premier League will we'll drop off and that will put us in a better place to spend so what I, what, the reason I'm talking about that is that, you know, Man City came in and started spending straight away. They had the previous allegations thrown out or the previous conviction, if you want to call it. I, I think it was a conviction under the, under the UEFA, thrown out in the, in the court of arbitra arbitration of sport. Yeah. So I think you all, I think from that point of view, I think when this broke, everyone kind of went, well, of course they were up to something. They've already been found guilty of being up to something, you know, and it was overturned on appeal. And I think the biggest one for me is that, um, in the small bit of digging around that I've done in it is that uh, the, the 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 payment of how will I put it the payment of of bonuses and and potentially wages through shell companies when it was basically being moved from Emirates to Elisitad or whatever it is and back into another company and then to Manchester City the deliberateness of doing that. I think sure that that would be the only thing for me that would I'd look at it and I'd go, I kind of wish we were smarter and could do that, you know, that kind of a situation. But but for me, I I don't get too put out about this. What will happen? What what will happen? Will happen in four years' time if I get to celebrate the twenty twenty Carling Cup uh, or uh, League Cup uh, win for Aston Villa. Um, I'll be absolutely delighted to do that. But if in four years' time it's found that they get a a points deduction for the twenty twenty two season. Uh, I, nothing would surprise me with regards to the outcome of it at the moment and and that's why I don't spend too much time worrying about it Man City are still going to be a financial force over the next four years mm. like you're going to win the the Champions League which is the ultimate goal in the next four years so no matter what happens between today and when the outcome comes Man City are still going to be a force so it, it Essentially, it's it's not really worth wor wor me worrying about it, but I do think that it probably will um, unearth a couple of skeletons that um, will it'll be con you will be constantly reminded of it over the next four years, which mightn't be nice listening for Man City fans, but for me, look, I'm not a legal eagle. I don't care. Like really, we're not we're not in the, we're not we're not playing in the same in the same swimming pool as Man City at the moment. Look, if Man City want to make amends and give us back Jack Grealish. That I'm okay with that, <laughs> but uh, unless unless that's what comes out of the ruling, um, then I, I won't I won't lose too much sleep over it. To be honest with you, yeah. the The reason I asked you really is the perception, because essentially, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I'm I'm happy of the journey we've been on at City, but I don't have any great love for my billionaire owner or any mm. of the. It's billionaires. It's very rich people stabbing each other in the back, and I think. That's it. There's a grubbiness at the top of football, and we've uh, won the lottery about you know, 14 years ago, and I'm very happy about that. But I'm not here to 
enlisted defender. I, mean, I don't know truly what's going on. Obviously, it's all come from the leaks and the stuff there, but nothing's been proved, and that's why I asked about perception. If it's proved, if we can actually see what these precise charges are, there shouldn't be a City fan that defends any of this and heads should roll, of course, and there will be fitting punishments. But I, I ask about the perception because, yes, Cass did overturn it. The fine was for non-cooperation. As of this moment, nothing has been proved about money being moving around, even though you may suspect it. And I guess that's why I asked about, you know, it's guilty before anything's been proven. And uh, I think that's, that is, it just yeah. kind of surmise. I'm not, City are not the good guys, obviously, and, you know, uh, some huge wealthy owner and uh, spending a lot of money. But it's interesting, the perception that they are already guilty. And if they do get off, it'll just because we've got better lawyers than everyone else. I think that's fair as a perception of City. Um. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. Um, yeah. For me personally, I don't know. But I, like, as I say, I, I don't spend too much time worrying about no, that. You know, uh, well, but it's, it, we used it, to talk about football, didn't we? You know yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to just talk about football and the results, and that's the worst thing about all this. I don't want to be in it. I don't want to be an expert in geopolitics or, but every or image rights or secondary contracts. I want to watch some football. Yeah, and a profit and loss accounts or anything like that. But yeah. look, put it this way: regardless of whether you guys are found guilty or not, there's going to be more. Of, there's going to be a heavy majority of football fans in other teams that will never let you forget about this and will always associate you. With it, it's it's going to be a stain that you're not going to be able to wash off anytime soon, uh, fairly or unfairly. And, and the reason I say fairly or unfairly is because we will know in four years' time mm. when, when the independent. But it uh, won't make any difference, as you no, say. The, it it's done in the eyes of fans. So. Yeah. Without anything being proved, I, which I think says it all. It won't make so. any difference between now and, and four years' time, as I say. If, if City go away and win three Champions Leagues and, and win the league every year between between now and, and, and the, the result comes out, you know, what difference does it make? You've had the great nights, you've celebrated, you've yeah. gotten drunk, you've you've seen the open tour, up, up and top bus tour, the players have had their statues made. What difference? It's not going to make any difference to anything other than people are just going to be able to point a finger at you and go, you guys are cheats. Like, it's, it's not... Do you think like there's there's no Rangers fan in 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 north of the border that cares a jot about the fact that they had to liquidate their company and uh, and restart again and and they probably even enjoyed coming back up through the leagues you know not that that's going to happen to Man City but it's all pageantry as you say it's not football yes I think a lot of other clubs will be um, like if there is sanctions dished out to Manchester City um, a lot of other clubs would be happy because look and if you have broken rules you should have sanctions given against you yeah. but regardless of what happens as I say there'll be a couple of clubs that will be always kind of in the background pointing the fingers at Man City and um, asking for clarification on X, Y and Z I think Um but look, as I say, it's four years' time. Have me back on in four years and we can have this conversation again. <laughs> <laughs> Up to four years, yeah. yeah. Yes. Maybe it'll just quietly disappear. And as I say, what happens, happens. I'll still be City fan. I'll still there. Uh, it might actually be fun. Losing yeah. other players won't be, but hey, yeah. a promotion charge. Yeah, just like the old days. So Anyway, exactly. I've, kept, I've kept you too long, but I've gone on about that far more than That's I should fun. have done. Uh, let's finish and talk football. Sunday afternoon, uh, you a big fan of 4.30 Sunday matches? Um, 
I like Sunday matches. Um, I am a traditionalist with the three o'clock Saturday games, oh, yeah. though, uh, very much so. Um, Phil, I haven't had an awful lot of those this year. I, and for a team that aren't in Europe, it's been galling, really, because, look, I'm Irish, as I say, I can get over to, to Saturday three o'clock games an awful lot easier. Like, Sunday 4.30 is in, would be a no-go for me to get over to the game. But... My good, my good mate Paddy, who's on the podcast with me, is going. He's going to the um, to the Etihad on uh, on Sunday, and he's going to be there to to watch it. His um, parts parts of his his side of the family are um, uh, are all uh, Man City, so he's going over there with his he's going over there with his wife and his kids, and he's uh, looking going to be watching the match through. I think through his hands at some stages, uh, hoping that we don't concede an early goal and snowball downhill after that. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. I'll be taking in the beautiful Manchester weather this yeah. this weekend. And I'm not even being sarcastic for once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, you drew earlier in the season and City yeah. were poor in that game. Do you have confidence you can get a result in this game? And of course... Dare we mentioned the final game of last season, which uh, it's fair to say was quite close. <laughs> that game, that game last season, you weren't just, there, were you? In the- I, I, I wasn't there. No, and neither was uh, neither was Paddy either. But um, every single, um, every sing- every second Irish person is a Liverpool fan. So I had my phone. I couldn't keep my phone charged with all the text messages I was getting from all my Liverpool supporting mates about, thanks for doing us a favour. And of course, the last 20 minutes happened. And um, then I was written off every Christmas card list um, <laughs> for the rest of the year then. But uh, do I think that we can get a, get a result? No, you guys were, were exceedingly poor in the, in the, um, in the, the first game. I will say under Una Emery, I think anything is, is possible. Never thought we'd get results in some of the games we did, in some of the games that we have been beaten in. Um, even the Liverpool game we played this season, we were beaten in. We played really well. We can, can we created a ton of chances. So mm. um, We've I had think some good away wins we have. as well. Spurs yeah. and Brighton, I think. Spurs and Brighton, yeah. Which yeah. We, we could beat Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we played Spurs off the park when we were there, you know. Well, sorry, that's, yeah, that's very claret and blue glasses there. We tactically were much better than Spurs because, mm. and, what, and this is going to bleed into, I'm, I'm sure you're going to ask me how we're going to um, uh, approach the game. Yeah. We're going to probably play six in defense. And we're going to play Dion Bailey and uh, Ollie Watkins up top. And we're going to say to the two of them, on your marks, get set, go and boot the ball up to them. And you know what? This is a new Emery thing. He did it with Villarreal mm. previously, and he got results against uh Bayern Munich he got results against um against Juventus uh, in Champions League football last season and I think he's going to approach it the same way we did it against Spurs so we will definitely start off with this crazy six if not seven at the back and it's an actual joy to watch it when things are going right um and I wish we did it against Leicester at the weekend because I firmly believe we would have beaten Leicester no problem at the weekend if we did it so um, he does that and, and he really digs in and, and that's something Aston Villa have tried to do in the past and have never been able to do it, never been able to park the bus. And while this sounds like parking the bus, we did it against Leeds as well at times. But when we break, the flooding of players to go forward is actually brilliant. You know, mm. it, it, And if, if we get a run on teams with the likes of Bubakar Kamara and Douglas Louise in midfield, uh, John McGinn, I'd imagine, would be back in midfield. Jacob Ramsey would be out there. Well, maybe Jacob Ramsey won't be out there. Emi Buendia will probably be out there. They can all play football, and they can all move the ball quickly. 
So if we can get the ball going, like Rodri is going to be pretty important, I think, and, and mm. he always scores against Aston Villa anyway. So we're going to have to <laughs> overcome the the inevitable Rodri goal. Um, but he's going to be somebody that's that, that's that's going to need to stay very disciplined in the middle of the field because one thing Aston Villa do under Unai Emery that they haven't done in, I actually could not even go so far as they haven't done since John Gregory's time, is play through the middle. We don't get it wide. We're not a whipping cross. Well, we do whipping crosses, but we try and play through the middle first. Right. And if all avenues are broken down through the middle, we will go wide. So that's why I think he's going to set up. I, I, I never really think we're going to lose at the weekend, uh, but I don't think we're going to get beaten 6-0. Um, although I will wake up on Sunday morning and go, we're going to get beaten 6-0, aren't we? That's we've, the way I've got to feel. We've not put in that sort of performance for a long time anyway. So. But Jack Grealish is just going to do it because every every player that Aston Villa sell always comes back to scoring like 40 goals against them. So that's yeah. just what happens. I think every know. fan base thinks that. I think City <laughs> fans think every player at Sterling is going to score against us. And then yeah, I say, can't... thankfully, he went off injured against us for Chelsea after one minute. And I was like, oh, well, at least he can't score now. So because yeah. he was absolutely nailed on to if he'd uh, avoided injury. So so who should City fans be worried about? Who's in form at the moment? Or is it just a team effort? And uh, also one player I'd obviously... Close to City fans' hearts in a way is uh, Douglas Louis. Is interested. Yeah. Has he developed? Is he improving oh, yeah. all the time? How's he coming on? Yes, uh, he's found the the yin to his yang in midfield this season mm. with Bubakar Kamara. And Bubakar Kamara is my my one to watch. Um, I, I put him on my one to watch in pre season. I've got something <laughs> right at last. So. <laughs> he's um, he's he's been he's been a breath of fresh air at Aston Villa. He's completely transformed our midfield. Um, he just knows how to play the position. And, and it's funny, like everybody asks me, why do you like him so much? And I, I say, just watch him and you'll find yourself going, how is he in that position? How did he make up the ground to catch that person and dispossess mm. him? How was he able to, uh, like he's good in both transitions. Now from a converted center half, like you look at this guy and you go, what were they doing playing him center half at Marseille during his youth career? But um, he's just very, very impressive. Now saying that, Leicester was one of the was the worst game I've ever seen him play for Aston Villa, but um, he's just been majestic. He's he's like one of these people who he has this innate ability to be able to chase somebody down without the person who he's chasing knowing he's behind them, <laughs> nick the ball away from them, and the player is just wondering what the hell has just happened. You know, you see it, it's he's he's been a breath of fresh air. Um, Ollie Watkins has been a bit resurgent, but as I say, he's somebody that needs one or two chances before mm. one goes into the back of the net. Um, we're due a defensive goal. God knows we're due a defensive goal, as in maybe scoring from a corner or something like that. For a team that has a set-piece coach, we don't do much from set-pieces. Um, but definitely the, the going, going on to Douglas Louise piece, he's been very resurgent. Um, we're seeing an awful lot from him at the moment. Very nearly sold him for, Stephen Gerrard, very nearly sold him for £25 million at the start of the season. Signed a new contract and he's been really, really solid in the middle of that field in the Two of the first names on the team sheet will be Douglas Louise and Bubakar Kamara. And let's see if we can fill in around them. Uh, so, yeah, just to finish off. So you, you do accept, you expect uh, the team to sit deep and then hit on the counter, yeah. which Absolutely. is what City hate more than anything. Yeah, and that's exactly what we will do. You'll see Leon Bailey will pull wide. You'll see there will be one midfielder will kind of stay semi-forward. Ollie Watkins will occupy a centre half and then literally everybody else will be back in defence. That's the way we will we'll work. And uh, it sounds it sounds unsexy and it absolutely <laughs> is unsexy. Um, but it's Una Emery's way and it's gotten us results so far. Well, I had to go to Old Trafford to watch United uh, my dad against Villarreal last season. And yeah, 
they really are lost two one. They should have been about four nil up at half time. Yeah. So, and they swarmed and should have picked them off and missed some absolute sitters. So, you could see the style he plays there. Right, we'll finish then with a score prediction, please. Oh. <laughs> Heart or head, it. you choose. Yeah, I was going to say it's a good. I don't know will a lot of Villa fans listen to this, but uh, I hope they do because I'll, I'll share it everywhere. But I'm going to say two nil City. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say two 0 City. I, um, I, I would have always like like Unai Emery or no Unai Emery, you would have had this one down as a, as a loss. Uh, I actually fancy us to get something out of Arsenal more the week, which is the week after mm. more than I do out of Man City, um, because we have an inferiority complex, and um, when you've been when you've had your, you know, your shins kicked. But, and I mean that not because Man City kicked you in the field or whatever like that. I mean that like, you know, if you're in school and you've got a bully who's consistently kicking you in the shins, you know, you're expecting it. You always cower down to them. And that's what Man City have been to a lot of teams in the league this year. They've just been so dominant in the league. Um, I think that there's probably emotional and physical and mental scars with this team in Man City, specifically even after the capitulation at the end of last season. Um, and I, I think City will win 2 0. Um, at the weekend okay I think you've got a goal in here so I'm going to think it'll be tight and um, we're going to go 2-1 for City so I'll be happy with either of those three points uh, it's been a yeah as long as we don't go 1-0 up and lose that 1-0 lead because I, I can't I can't do losing leads again after the end of last season can't I'll do it just be glad to talk about football again so yeah. <laughs> Neil thank you I've kept you for far too long but obviously get you too long because it's been fascinating talking to you thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us and as always after this weekend all the best with the rest of the season <laughs> and saying likewise to you guys and thanks so much for having me on and uh, yeah it's been really really nice to talk yeah uh, yeah thanks again right we'll go back to the panel as we preview the Sunday afternoon match Right, that was Neil. Thanks once again, Neil, for taking time out to chat to us. Absolutely fascinating half hour talking to him about all things Villa. Right, we've got a football match to talk about. Uh, it seems like a long, long time ago we played football, but that's probably because we try and blank out Spurs away matches, not just because uh, what's happened during the week. Steve, I'm going to start with you just before we, we look at lineups and all that sort of thing and... Yeah, Neil's got me worried about what a tough game it could be. Hmm. But after the after the week we've had, are you actually looking forward to the game, talking about football, or has it actually dulled your enthusiasm for the the weekend's match? No, because like as I said at the top of the pod, I go into football because I love football. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know all the business side of it is just kind of something that you have to absorb and assimilate into that love but very reluctantly so um no just to get back to watching manchester city yeah yes please and i need this you know what i mean yeah. it's not it's not I'm, I'm sure you could call it a welcome distraction and it's not this is a whole thing this is why you know i support manchester city because of the football so yeah bring it on i think based on you just get the same question as well uh going into this match does it feel less important now for you or are you pumped up for a title charge? Are you ready to fall back in love with football or has it left you all a bit dejected about the season as a whole? What's happened off the pitch this week? I feel quite ambivalent about football as a whole right now. Um, and it, But it's not really... Um, it's not really to do with the football itself. It's just more... I feel as though... The, the 24-7 rolling news cycle 
has somehow begun to eat the actual football where mm. the news cycle becomes more important than the games themselves so my antidote to that is absolutely to try and focus in solely on the football for the next few weeks um but i'm really excited by what sunday holds what the rest of the season holds um i have a lot of faith in guardiola and a lot of faith in this squad of players um i also have a lot of faith in khaldun it was heartening to hear that he spent 45 minutes talking to the players uh, after the spurs game last weekend that's really heartening to hear because if there's one guy who makes me feel calm and positive and excited about the future for city it's khaldun Barak. so yeah i'm i'm very much looking forward to you know what i'm looking forward to arguing with people about like why julian alvarez shouldn't start or who should play at left back because those were things that a year uh, a week ago the felt annoying yeah. yeah exactly a week ago they felt annoying and tedious and right now they feel like the most fun exciting chats we can have hmm. stay what about the players fired up or stunned um <sighs> I mean, it, it's to what extent it's kind of infiltrated their bubble, really. Um, and by and large, I think things that go on at football clubs just get gossiped about in the dressing room, but only as gossip. Far more important matters to them will be, you know, their careers and, and all the rest of it. As long as they know they're okay, um, they won't particularly care, I shouldn't imagine. Um, and their focus should be on Villa. Um, I should hope so. Um, professional footballers, you know, this is their job to basically blank out everything else and just focus on the next game because with Arsenal coming up straight after, we, we can't, we simply can't lose at the weekend. And and I'm, I won't, I won't wind you up, Howard, by calling it a must win. So I'll, I'll word it like that. We simply cannot lose at the weekend. Otherwise, the title's gone. So their focus should be entirely on this game. And I, I believe it will have been. Yeah. That's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> what do you make of Villa then, Asen? That Neil was very effusive praise of them, you know, under Emery. They, it's hard because he's not been here that long, but they've got had some big away wins as well. I think they won at Brighton and Spurs last week. I think we put it down to one of those days. They were a well defensive disaster class against Leicester. Didn't see coming. Are you expecting a really tough game on Sunday afternoon? Yeah. <clears throat> I think Emery's a really great appointment. I've said that previously. Um, and they've obviously uh, shown what happens when you put a real football manager in charge instead of that imposter. Um, it'll be a tough game. It'll definitely be a tough game. And I think we know that because they got a point off us at the start of the season. Um, I think the big thing for me, though, is the week, the way that it's been, the siege mentality that I expect, the togetherness that I expect, and I include Pep and the coaching staff in that, I expect us to go out on Sunday and play like the fucking champions of England because that's what we are and it's something that we shouldn't lose sight of and these players shouldn't lose sight of, yeah? They've won the last two Premier League titles and they can win the next Premier League title too. 
They just have to get their shit a little bit together. Not even a lot together. Just a little bit together. And 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 they'll go on from here and 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 wrestle control back from from Arsenal. So yeah, I, I think I think Villa will be a, a really tough game, but it's the kind of tough game that you want right now because you want the players to to rise to the challenge of of what of what the weekend is going to bring. Steve? Yeah, Neil talked about them being defensive and yeah, I don't know, maybe Liam Bailey will stay wide and they'll hit us on the break. They've got Watkins, of course. Hmm. This all sounds like the sort of stuff City struggle with at, at home, especially. Yeah. Does it worry yeah. that, you know, Emery, you say Emery's a wily boss. Uh, I mentioned to Neil, you know, I saw I had to go, had to go to Old Trafford last season to watch United Villarreal and that's exactly what they did to United. How they lost that game, I will never know. They should have been 4 0 up at half time. Uh, does it worry you that that approach is especially, you know, the kind of thing we'll struggle against? Yeah, because they're good defensively um, and they'll be set up well. Except last week. Yeah. yeah, but they've scored in, in each of their Premier League games under Emery, so that's a factor. Um, but Emery's got a terrible record against Guardiola. It's, it's 12 games that they've played against each other and. 12 wins for Pep Guardiola. So, You've just um, jinxed it, Steve. Cheers. <laughs> I'm off. So this is the I'm 13th out. game they'll be playing against. So this will be the 13th for your lucky 13th. I'm lucky. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a wrap. <laughs> um, I should also say this is Pep Guardiola's 250th Premier League game as City manager, which is quite interesting. Um, and, of course, he's got the highest win percentage of any manager in Premier League history because he's the greatest. Um, yeah, Watkins worries me. Um, he's scored in three consecutive Premier League games now. Um, they've got a decent side. They have got a decent coach. Um, they are going to be set up in a way that we do, as you say, I would typically struggle against, but we're going to batter them. Um, I think ultimately at the weekend we're going to batter them. Um, and, and I'm very confident of that. So, um, yeah, I, I, Respect Villa and what what they're doing this season, particularly in in instance they've appointed Emery, but we'll batter them. Mm. And the crowd stay. The, the atmosphere will be edgy and huge, really yeah, good. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 absolutely. And and the players, like you say, I mean, you know, like Aksan said, siege mentality. Uh, you know, that, that extends to the fans too. It, it's it'll be really good atmosphere. I should imagine this weekend. Well, it's yeah, half four on the Sundays. Better than half 12 on a Saturday, is it not? So. Yes. I found out something quite interesting, not related to City, but um, the last eight Saturday lunchtime kickoffs in total have produced 12 goals. That does not surprise me. I know. It's, it's, they're so tepid, aren't they? You yeah. Know? And, yeah. So, yeah, should be playing at that time, but hey. Well, I mean, yeah. if it's other teams, it's all right. But, yeah, that's not, it's not giving you entertainment. It's weird, isn't it? Different games would end up differently if they were just played at different times. <laughs> yes. It's like... You always think well, it doesn't matter. It's you know you look at it tactically who's playing, but no, it does have a bearing on. Yeah, stuff absolutely, like lunchtime kickoffs are not good. Right, Asa, and if you thought predicting how the Premier League probe into Manchester City will end up, uh, try working out what lineup City are going to bring to uh, the Etihad <laughs> on Sunday. Yeah, just before. Do, I do, do you that. have feelings? Oh yeah, go on. I, just before I do that, I'd like to uh, remind the listening audience of. Uh, of my shout last Friday on the Friday show yeah. about the early kickoff last weekend and how I was absolutely convinced that Daishinho was going to do a madness and, and get something off of Arsenal. Well, well, he did. So. And <laughs> I'd like to remind listeners that you said we'd batter Spurs. So. 
<laughs> we'll call it. Cunts. I was coming to that, Howard. But <laughs> I, I was about to show my own humility by reminding the audience of that. But you, you've just done that for me. So thank I'm you, sorry. For that. Because I'm a humble man and I accept the fact yeah. that I am most often very, very, very wrong. Um, Sunday, team. So, look, uh, what I don't want to see is Julian Alvarez in the starting lineup. What I don't want to see is any, any kind of 442 bollocks nonsense. Please, no, no, no. What I'd like to see is something akin to something that allows City's best players to show their best football. So I'd like Walker and Ake at fullback. Personally, I want to see Laporte back in the team. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but the transfer window is closed and we have footballers in the squad and Laporte is a footballer in the squad and we need his passing from the back. So I want to see Laporte back in the team. Midfield, Gundo, Rodri, KDB. Front three, Grealish, Mares, Haaland. I don't care if you take Grealish out and put Foden in. I don't care if you take Mares out and put Foden in. We haven't got any other options for that, for those two wide positions. So it's two of those three and then Haaland up top. And we'll win the game. Steve, your thoughts? The the excluded player, to, I mean, it's Diaz as well, mm-hmm. uh, and Phil Foden. It's impossible to say what you know. Should he start or will he start? Again, it must be a training decision. He is in training, uh, and yeah, he could come in. Obviously, instead of Grealish, because Foden, Mares, Harland is. We want at some point want to replicate that that Derby front three, don't we? Uh, the one that. I, the best yes. 45 minutes of the season yes. yeah, undoubtedly then you've got Bernardo Silva as well who saw, I read it on Twitter so it must be true uh, has started every game with dropped points in this season who has been underwhelming you know, kind of we all assume is coming towards the end of his City career so there's plenty of interesting decisions for Pep to make for this match yeah which is never a good thing is it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, coming into this pod, I was really looking forward to doing it. I mean, I saw a tweet before the pod and I thought, well, there's actually no point me kind of coming on now because this tweet says everything that I feel. Um, it's from someone called Asan and it says, uh, no yeah, 442, him, yeah. please. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a midfield three of Rodri Gundo KDB, front three without Alvarez, get the port back into the back line, walk Ake as fullbacks. Complete. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. Sounds it's... like sounds like a plastic foreign <laughs> fan to me, mate. With a name like that, sounds like a wrong and Do you know what I mean? He sounds like a knowledgeable individual because I agree with him. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's how I feel. The big point from that from those is no Alvarez, and I should say. I'm a huge fan of Alvarez, but me too. This, yeah. that, that's not a, that's not a critic no, no, of Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Steve. Go on. No, no, I, I know you You feel the same. It, it's just that we've got a sticking point with Haaland and we've got a sticking point with Alvarez as in terms of how to implement them in within our setup. Two together, it's too much. It really backfired against Spurs. One, you can deal with and you can work with. Um, and so, you know, I choose Haaland over Alvarez. Um, but yeah, the big one for me is getting Laporte back. I don't know what the hell is going on there, but we miss his passing out from the back desperately. Um, we miss his composure, his assurity. Um, yeah, so Laporte, please. Uh, Walker, Rico Lewis. Hey, Sam, if, if we want to invert again and Lewis is the best for that, it kind of gives us a problem in that respect. Did, 
did you get? I said, don't point at left back. He's he's not ready for that. <laughs> Have we got ahead ourselves a bit with Rico Lewis recently about how good he is or whether he should be in every game? Do you think that'll be factored in? The fact he can move in field better than Walker will be factored into which one of them plays against Aston Villa. Um. So no, I don't think we've got ahead of ourselves. I think that the the problem right now is that we've got a limited number of players to choose from, from for various reasons and i've the feeling that we went out of our way to not protect uh lewis last weekend i feel as though it's not just about he can play at left back and he can play at right back and he can play in midfield but like i said on the review of the spurs game we didn't protect lewis sticking bernardo on the same side as lewis right up against Kulisevsky and all the other grocks that Spurs put on him yeah to try and expose him is not the right way to handle that so for me I've got no problem with him picking Lewis but if he picks Lewis then he's got to make sure that he puts lads around him that can protect because there's a downside to having Lewis and that is that he doesn't have the physicality um of mm. Walker for example or Ake or a center back so you need a couple of lads around him to protect him if you're going to play him yeah that's fair enough let's stay the Arsenal matches on Wednesday do you think that'll have any bearing on the sort of side? No, 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 no. Pat no, might no. pick, or and should no. it do, or should he literally be thinking nothing more about we've got this game now? Think so. Nothing more about this, and and yeah, it, it won't impact upon it, and it shouldn't impact upon it as, as regards to his thinking with team selection. Pick the best team to beat Aston Villa, beat Aston Villa, and then go into the uh, Arsenal game still in touch, still in contention. With that being a game where we can really get back into the title challenge regardless of the Arsenal result this weekend. So, yeah, it's just all about beating Villa and we cannot afford to lose. Is there a Premier League uh, anthem, by the way? I don't think there is. <laughs> there isn't, we no, haven't no. got one to boo. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? Oh, no. It's yeah. a shame. Anyway, yeah. It's just uh, one of the final questions then before I ask for your scores. Hey, Sam, it's just... How do you see this playing out? In my mind, I see it as... Again, we've talked about this so many times. We wanted it against Wolves as a reaction to what had gone before, uh, that they come out the traps quicker, City. We don't score early goals. Is that where you expect us to try and rip into them early? Or do you think it will be one of those days where patience again, City, they've got... Bank two banks of players, and we'll just pass in front of them and, and probe and probe and probe. Which way do you see it going of those two possibilities? I don't think that you can go from from naught to sixty in one game. Mm. So, as much as I'd love for this to be the best version of Pep City, that's not what I expect on Sunday. What I would like us to be is defensively solid. What I would like us to try and do is recover a little bit of the personality of the team that we are, because if we do those two things, then I think that we'll win. Okay. Is there anything else you want to discuss about them at then, or should I just ask you for a score prediction? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I, Sam, I went for 2-1, so what's your score prediction? 1-0 um, uh, City. Okay. Stay. Yeah, it's going to be tight. It's going to be 3-1, but it's going to be a tight 3-1. I think it may well be a case where nerves are jangling until the last kind of 10 minutes. Um, 
Yes, a 3-1 City. Uh, right, I think that's everything. We've so much to cover. We didn't even get to talk about the Super League and other stuff and all the other things that's going on in the world. It's been a crazy week. Uh, just some admin for everyone uh, listening. We have talked, uh, for non-subscribers, just to say we've done a ton of shows uh, this week talking about what happened with the Premier League and, you know, obviously we've dissected it. We've had Stefan on the absolute legend and Lloyd as well done some brilliant content uh, so if you're not a subscriber do check it out and see what we've done this week uh, it shows what we do best and everything we put out on our player the first 15 minutes of the shows are always available for free on SoundCloud so if you want a taster you want to hear what we've been talking about and the sort of stuff we do away from the Friday show go on to SoundCloud as well and give that a listen uh, I think you'll like what you hear so and sorry howard one yeah. last thing um anybody who can't afford to pay for the night 320 player or lives in a country where you don't have access to paypal you're welcome to send me an email or a dm and we'll set you up with a free membership that's a wonderful gesture thanks very much and yeah and i've done a blog as well uh so do check that out if you haven't just about the fans perspective from all of this so asan thank you very much for coming on and yeah picking apart a crazy crazy week i feel a lot better howard thank you for having me yeah steve thank you very much as well for coming up pleasure mate. enjoyed it yeah uh, steve's done a premier league preview show as well that'll be out today obviously tons more content we've got the review of the villa match then we'll be previewing uh the arsenal match and reviewing that and We've recorded this before Pep's press conference. Yes. If it is explosive, there'll be a third podcast this Friday. Today, no, we are doing it. We yeah, we're doing, doing it a podcast afternoon. on his press conference alone as well. So tons of content there. Right, that's a wrap. We're all off to litigate against Walkers for making Monster Munch smaller. I'm coming for <laughs> you, <laughs> Lineker. What? I'm coming for you, Lineker. smaller. <laughs> Do you not notice? <laughs> I've not had monster. What? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm aghast, Howard. I'm absolutely aghast. Let's write some letters. We need to, we need to do something, mate. Petition, you know my, protest, something. The, these are my true priorities in life. <laughs> not this Premier League rubbish. Anyway, do try and have a great weekend, everyone. Take care, and as always, Asan. Up the blues.